everything we do comes down to serving our customers reliably and affordably. Delays are not just impacts on investment that electric companies make in their infrastructure. It's delays from an environmental perspective and delays on our customers and delays in just leading the world in advancing cleaner energy. Welcome to Electric Perspectives, a podcast that explores how America's electric companies are working to deliver the reliable, affordable, secure, and clean energy that powers our economy and our everyday lives. The show is brought to you by EEI, the Edison Electric Institute, which represents all U.S. investor-owned electric companies. I'm your host, Brian Real. Before we get started, I want to let you know that registration for EEI 2023 is open. This year's Thought Leadership Forum promises to be a fitting celebration for EEI's 90th anniversary. Join industry and government leaders, technology innovators and partners, regulators, and other stakeholders as we showcase the actions and leadership of America's electric companies to deliver resilient clean energy across our economy. You can visit EEI.org for more information and to register. Studies have shown that transmission infrastructure in the U.S. will have to double, maybe even triple, in order to reach a net-zero economy by 2050 and to support widespread electrification. But one persistent challenge to expanding the transmission system and deploying more clean energy is the inefficient siting and permitting process for critical infrastructure, such as transmission lines. EEI advocates for a coordinated, consistent, and efficient siting and permitting regulatory framework to ensure that electricity is reliable and affordable for customers. On today's show, we're joined by Dominion Energy Vice President of Federal Affairs Ann Loomis and EEI Senior Director of Government Relations Patrick Arness, who both will discuss the urgent need for permitting and siting reform, Dominion Energy's experience going through the environmental and regulatory review process for its offshore wind project, new developments on the Hill that might impact permitting and siting reforms, and more. Ann and Patrick, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. Thank you. It's great to be with you. And let's start with you, Patrick. What does the current siting and permitting process look like for electric companies that are trying to start and really complete these infrastructure projects to help deliver electricity when and where it's needed? And how long of a timeline are electric companies looking at to get these sort of projects through the environmental review process? I'd say that part of the problem is that there is no straightforward process. There are you know, more than 60 federal permits that you'll have to go through, a couple dozen agencies. Uh, that's not counting the state agencies that you're dealing with. So there is no one size fits all. There's no consistency really across agency or region, depending on the project. And that's part of the reason why we're up on the Hill advocating for this consistency, this efficient siting and permitting process for the companies, so they have some uh, a little more predictability about where they're going as they're trying to bring on this clean energy. And there seems to be bipartisan recognition that these types of projects are needed today, uh, not years into the future. And why haven't we really seen meaningful reforms to the process take place yet? It's clearly a priority for the Biden administration, but are there limits to the progress that can be made without Congress acting? Anything in Congress is difficult to do. The, th- the processes that we're proposing to change have been around for a long time. Uh, there are a lot of strong feelings about what should or should not be changed in those policies. But as our industry has changed, as more clean energy is coming on board, I think folks are realizing 
that we need to update the laws to meet the current system and where the sector is going. So are the agencies that are, in, or are some of the agencies involved in the processes a little c- constrained without action from Congress? Clarity from Congress helps. The agencies have do have a lot of authority, and, and we are certainly making similar requests from a regulatory standpoint. It's a parallel path, but consistency from, from Congress and clarity from Congress uh, can certainly help uh, the agencies going forward. And and electric companies like Dominion Energy are the ones who are experiencing this process and the potential complications that can arise. Can you tell us about your company's experience with the Coastal Virginia Offshore Wind Project? And for our listeners who may not be familiar with this particular project, can you maybe provide a brief overview of it and how many Virginian homes it is expected to power? Oh, sure. Thank you. And good to be with you today. Um, I would like to second uh, some comments that Patrick made. You know, many electric companies are have taken the net zero by 2050 pledge, and we're all working towards that uh, to achieve greater reductions sooner. Uh, at Dominion Energy, we're net zero on our own operations, and we're also expanding our net zero obligations to other categories of sources, like from our customers and suppliers. Um, you know, the need is really great for all types of energy infrastructure out there. Um, in 2021, we had about 193 gigawatts of wind and solar online. And the National Renewable Energy Laboratory says to meet the 2050 goal, we need about 2,000 gigawatts. So that is a lot of new energy sources. So that's nationwide? Nationwide. So for our uh, offshore wind project, which will be the largest uh, offshore wind project in the U.S., we started permitting that in 2013 when we secured a lease area from Department of Interior's Bureau of Ocean Energy Management in uh, 2013, and we started with two small test turbines to get data and to see how the permitting process would work. But in 2019, we filed for the full uh, 2,600 megawatts. Uh, It's going to power approximately 6,600 homes. We're going to have 180 14-megawatt turbines. They each will be 800 feet tall, far higher than the Washington Monument. And our lease area is 27 to 44 miles offshore off the coast of Virginia Beach. And our project uh, at its peak will avoid about 5 million metric tons of carbon annually, to give you a flavor of the size of our project. And what has been the permanent experience really? Um, you talked about that pilot phase, but then also going into a kind of full development of the project. Sure. Um, we've been pleased uh, in the past year as the administration has really stepped up their focus and coordination uh, among the multiple federal agencies for which we have to get federal permits. The Bureau of Ocean Energy Management is our lead federal agency preparing uh, the environmental impact statement, but we have seven other federal agencies as cooperating agencies on the NEPA document, plus they have to issue their own permits. So it's been challenging to get all of these permits to occur uh, 
really concurrently rather than sequentially. So we can start construction on schedule in 2024. And I think the administration has really had a tremendous focus on offshore wind projects. I can't speak to other projects that meet with similar challenges in delays, but I think they have to follow the laws, and that's why Congress needs to step in and act and provide some streamlining and really greater transparency in really uh, putting some time bounds on the federal permitting process. Uh, and when I say that, yes, we all want to move faster, but it doesn't mean that we're going to have less environmental protection or less public participation. And I think we can accomplish all those three equally important obligations. And you recently had joined Patrick at an event that EEI co-hosted with the Permitting Institute on Capitol Hill to help explain the current siting and permitting process to congressional staff. How important a, a piece of the puzzle is it to make sure that you're you're meeting with staff and other offices just so that they know what the experience has been for, for companies like yours? Uh, sure. I think it's always important to provide updated educational information or what's happening out there in the real world from the statutes and regulations as they're written as opposed to how they are implemented. Um, I do think this time now you see uh, an important um, confluence of views of traditional energy advocates and uh, renewable energy advocates experiencing the same uh, challenges. And first and foremost, it's transparency and getting agencies to adhere to sort of well-defined schedules in full compliance of their statutory obligations. And based on your experience and with this project and others, what are the biggest hurdles that electric companies are facing when trying to get permission to build this critical energy infrastructure to help expand energy access, deploy more clean energy, and bolster reliability, which of course has been front and center as part of this, uh, this uh, the investments being made? I think anybody would tell you the greatest challenge is setting um, a predictable schedule of review, understanding uh, all of the information that's needed for a full and thorough review process, but then meeting those timelines because delays not only impact electric companies' financing costs for these multi-billion dollar projects, but those delays are passed on in cost to customers. More delays equals a lot more costs. It also reduces the environmental benefits of the project because you have delays in carbon reductions that accumulate year over year every delay that's out there. And I think those are the biggest uh, challenges um, to getting projects done on time. It's not just the financial impacts to the project sponsor, in this case, Dominion Energy, but it's to our customers, it's to meeting our net zero goals, it's to achieving the Biden's administration's 30 gigawatts by 2030. So there are uh, multiple you know, negative impacts of delays. 
And even just a step back from offshore wind for a moment, working with EEI's member companies, Patrick, I imagine that they're encountering similar challenges, uh, especially with transmission and other projects really across the U.S. Yeah, they're, as we've told, the, the hill in particular, doesn't matter what kind of project you're trying to build, it's difficult. It can be roads and bridges, it could be a pipeline, it could be renewing a hydropower facility, transmission line, it is all very difficult. It should be challenging, but as Ann was highlighting, even with the current administration and senior officials all rowing in the same direction on offshore wind, it has been extremely difficult, not to speak for Dominion, but it's a challenge. And how do we, how do we maintain the transparency, the efficiency of the process, but get it done in a in an effective way that that is beneficial for the environment and for customers. Are you able to mention maybe any of the particular reforms that EEI is advocating for to improve the siting and permitting process? Yeah, one of our main focuses has been on actually a process statute, uh, NEPA, which again kind of is is a portion, but it sets the tone for the rest of the, the permitting process. We want a lead agency. We want an agency an agency in charge to help direct and guide the others on the scope of their reviews, that the the time that they have to provide information, to review information. Um, we want them to use existing studies. If you're being more efficient with the information that you have, hopefully that frees up resources elsewhere. Um, we want improvements to the Clean Water Act. Again, there, there are 60 statute or, or permits out there that need to be addressed, um, but improving the process and the timeliness of those, especially under NEPA, will help um, trickle over into some of those other statutes. And just thinking back and to the offshore wind project you were talking about, are there any particular challenges that you've developed along the way that, that might stand out? I think there have been challenges uh due to this is a new industry. It's a new industry for us as a project developer. It's a new industry for federal agencies, for state agencies. So there's been a lot of learning as we go along. But we have seen that delays that occur, not just in siting is one issue. Then there's the permitting obligations. But then there's also the connecting the energy to the grid, which is another piece of infrastructure. Um, we've seen potentially changes in the type of information needed before you could proceed, or questioning imp- information provided, which is appropriate, but. Our best gauge is looking at data from what's been gathered in Europe or anywhere else around the globe where they have had offshore wind projects. So I think it's a combination of things of a new industry, everybody you know, wanting to be appropriately very careful about the process and being sure that they're considering all the impacts. But our oceans are, are really active commercial activities you know yes it's important for the marine environment but there's military activities there's commercial traffic there's recreational traffic uh, all in uh, the immediate outer continental shelf and certainly another user uh, 
can be brought into the process uh, in combination with all the other stakeholders using the ocean. And this could be a question for either of you, because both of you have spoken to it a little bit, but with the various agencies that are involved in the process, do you find that you're getting asked for the same information at different intervals as you go along? Or is there any sort of centralized process for some of that information that you know everyone's going to be seeking? You know, I do think there's some redundancy in information that's requested, but I think there's been a lot of focus uh, with the Biden administration on coordinating in areas between BOEM, NOAA over Department of Commerce, EPA, uh, Coast Guard, in our case, the U.S. Navy, um, and Fish and Wildlife Service that we had not seen before. Um, it does take a lot of uh, engagement from all of these federal agencies because they have their own statutory obligations, not just uh, NEPA, as Patrick said. And NEPA is not an outcome-based environmental statute. It is a process to ensure that all agencies, whoever is involved, is considering fully a potential impact of a project. When you ask for information and if what you provide for one agency is satisfactory for another agency or if that secondary agency wants a further study of the same information is what I've seen uh, improvement in coordination, but still nothing like an act of Congress to give more clarity and direction to the process is what we're seeking. EEI and our partners, of course, supported the passage of the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law in late 2021, which includes funds for substantial investments in transmission to increase grid resilience and to improve access to affordable clean energy sources and to drive a lot of research and development there, as well as the Inflation Reduction Act of the IRA and the significant clean energy tax credits, amongst other elements of that particular law. Patrick, can you remind us a bit about the funding these pieces of legislation provide for transmission in particular? Yeah, there, there are a number of different ways that those bills or those laws address transmission and distribution infrastructure. I think the, the system as a whole, there are opportunities from the Grid Resilience Innovation Program, the Smart Grid Investment Grant Program that were created under the bipartisan infrastructure law that allow companies to invest in transmission and other technologies on the grid um, to benefit customers. The IRA includes a lot of money for clean energy technologies and for states in particular to plan and anticipate transmission needs, grid infrastructure needs as they meet their their state policy goals and how they can better work with the federal partners, with their electric company partners on looking forward um, in terms of system needs. Are there any risks of not maximizing the potential benefits of the bipartisan infrastructure law and the clean energy tax credits you mentioned if Congress doesn't make changes to the existing siting permit process? I'd say we've known that the permitting process has been slow for quite a long time. And with the once in a, at least a decade, if not generation, infusion and focus from Congress, uh, yeah, that would be a missed opportunity. Staying on the topic of legislation, we know that Congress currently is considering the Lower Energy Costs Act, or H.R. 1. Can you explain what this particular bill has to do with permitting and siting reform? Yeah, that, that, that bill, which passed the House recently, uh, tackles a number of, of priorities for us. It addresses 
categorical exclusions, um, making it a little bit easier to build projects, uh, particularly on federal lands. It addresses uh, a significant overhaul of NEPA, looking at lead agencies, reducing page limits, or enacting page limits, uh, reducing timelines for considerations, the scope, um, clarifying scope of what can be considered for agencies as, as they're looking at different projects, the impacts, uh, the purpose and need of, of those particular efforts. Um, it really goes across the board. It tackles critical minerals. Um, it certainly gets into the offshore wind perspective. So it, I think it's a good starting point for Congress in this debate. Uh, again, a lot of things that we liked that were in there and are hoping that the Senate can pick up some of that momentum uh, and try and you know work together in a bipartisan way because we'll need something that's bicameral, bipartisan to make it uh, lasting and, and certainly effective for us as an industry. So in terms of what you expect to come back, and I won't say pull out your crystal ball, but do you anticipate the Senate might introduce or members of the Senate might introduce their own legislation or, or work off of some of the proposals that are there? And I, I imagine this is an issue where you have members from each chamber working together in some instances. We hope so. Senator Manchin certainly jump-started a conversation last year with his bill. He's uh, as determined as, as he always is to try and tackle this issue. So he'll be working on this. Uh, Mr. Carper and Ms. Capito, who lead the Senate Environment Public Works Committee, are um, also looking at this because their committee has a lot of jurisdiction over these these agencies that we're talking about, these processes. Uh, Senator Barrasso, who's the ranking member on, on the Energy Committee, is involved. And then, of course, you're going to have members across the spectrum identify policies they think need to be addressed, and it's a matter of how, how we vet those uh, and work with those offices to ensure that we're getting a, a robust package uh, across the finish line. And and we talked about this one particular wind project that Dominion Energy has been working on, but from just a general point of view, what sort of challenges do you see as an industry for us if we don't make progress on the permitting and siting front? Yeah, thank you. I think uh, Patrick summed it up. We've been given a tremendous opportunity with, um, you know, an influx of federal dollars under the Infrastructure and Jobs Act and a number of tax credits under the Inflation Reduction Act to really address um, the concern that renewable energy is too expensive for consumers. Um, and as an electric company, of course, we focus on reliability and affordability as, in our transitioning to cleaner energy sources. Certainly through the pandemic, uh, all electric companies went through ways to help their customers to relieve bills, provide extensive long-term payment plans. So we're very mindful of affordability, but of course even reliability that always seems to be um, a distant issue, but it's been in the forefront more recently, you know, with the Texas storms in uh, 2021 and the cold weather we experienced here in the mid-Atlantic at Christmas time. So those are all real factors. Um, and as we need to really jumpstart our deployment of clean energy, which includes battery storage, uh, 
this effort of permitting reform is a unique opportunity that is bringing sort of uh, non-traditional bedfellows together from all sides of the political spectrum. What we need to do now is be sure that they're all um, recognizing that they're all trying to work towards the same goal, even if they have a different path to get there, and see if we can identify some commonalities so that we have um, even if it's not a perfect bill, that it's a meaningful bill for what we need to do really uh, jumpstart everything over the next 10 years, or we will have missed a significant opportunity that the legislation, the prior Congress, and the Biden administration have given us a, a great opportunity to make a, a difference on both climate, uh, modernizing the electric grid, reducing costs to all of uh, consumers, and even more so, helping to invest in uh, distressed communities that, you know, have been disadvantaged from this energy transition or even uh, distressed uh, or diverse communities that perhaps were adversely impacted by the last generation of energy infrastructure. So that's why we think this opportunity is so ripe here and now for permitting reform. Is there anything else that we didn't touch on that you'd want to add before we close? I think I would just add that along with that opportunity uh, with costs to our customers, to all consumers, We've seen a decline in the costs of solar, a decline in the costs for wind infrastructure, because there have been advancements in the technologies themselves. What hasn't improved and actually has gone in a re reverse direction have been delays. And delays are counting for a greater and greater increased cost of a project. Um, and again, everything we do comes down to serving our customers reliably and affordably. Delays are not just impacts on investment that electric companies make in their infrastructure. It's delays from an environmental perspective and delays on our customers and delays in just leading the world in advancing cleaner energy. And you mentioned innovations and progress for clean energy technologies. Have we also seen that sort of innovation with transmission technologies? It might not seem as exciting, but that certainly has a critical role for overall reliability and resilience for the grid. Absolutely. Transmission is a key part of delivering clean energy to the load-serving areas that are constrained. Um, and it's just a critical component of any energy infrastructure, which is why we're looking at uh, doing solar on abandoned mine land sites or closed older generating stations. It's just where's the transmission to quickly get that energy and efficiently get that energy onto the grid. So utilizing some of that existing infrastructure in the meantime, make sure you're yes. optimizing those opportunities. Yes. Well, that's exciting. Ann and Patrick, thanks for joining us today. 
that's our show for today. Thank you for listening and come back next week to hear more from experts and industry leaders who are talking about the innovative ways electric companies are building a cleaner, smarter, stronger energy future for the customers and communities they serve. You can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Electric Perspectives. I'm your host, Brian Real. Thanks for listening.